Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast as we round out our Women's Voices series uh, in the month of March, which I would not say we're going out like a lamb today. I think you'll agree. We've got some deeply passionate, empowered, powerful voices to share with you today, and I know that their message is going to land right where it needs to. Charlie Peck is the co-creator of Thriving School Community, a revolutionary program designed for schools to improve mental health. With over 20 years of education and mental health leadership experience, she has the unique lens of both a certified teacher and a licensed clinical therapist specializing in trauma. Charlie holds an MS in education and an MS in social work. Her role as a high school teacher, coupled with her work with children and families in crisis, gives her incredible insight into solving youth mental health problems stemming from our schools. She is the co-author of Improving School Mental Health, The Thriving School Community Solution, and a global keynote speaker delivering powerful messages of hope to educators. Cameron, Dr. Cam Caswell, PhD, the teen translator, is an adolescent psychology psychologist, family success coach, and co-creator of Thriving School Community. For over two decades, she has been helping parents build strong, positive relationships with their teens through improved communication, connection, and understanding. Dr. Cam is a TEDx speaker, host of the Parenting Teens with a with Dr. Cam podcast, co-creator of the I Am Enough Teen 12-Week Workshop, author of Power Phrases for Parents, Teen Edition, and co-author of Improving School Mental Health, The Thriving School Community Solution. Dr. Cam is the mom of a teen too, so she not only talks the talk, she walks the walk. In this episode, we discuss the incredible ways these ladies have blended their voices to serve schools and communities to focus on mental health, how their individual passions and backgrounds continue to help their work become more excellent, and their passionate purpose to continue to use their own voices as well as activate others to help realize healthier schools can be a reality. I found this conversation to be so insightful deeply inspiring. I literally just want to take their, I purchased their book the second we were done with our conversation. I want to take their book and just lead strong with our own youth mental health in my own learning community. I just know that this message is going to impact you and that they've got a mission in their message. And I cannot wait to share with you Charlie Peck and Dr. Cam's Women's Voices story. Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, Cameron Caswell, Dr. Cam, as we'll be calling her, and Charlie Peck. I am so grateful that you are joining us on the show, and I cannot wait to share your message today. Ladies, hello. Hello. Thank you for having us, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Great to be here. I love your podcast. Uh, so excited. So a couple of things that we need to make sure is that throughout this interview, I know both of you are just going to be giving us such beautiful wisdom and gems to take at an exceptionally important time in our lives and education to hear your message. So would you just do me a favor? I read your bio. Everybody got to hear about how amazing you are, but now we need to hear a little bit about your current context. And this is also going to help us to know which voice we're hearing. So Dr. Cam, would you just share with us what you're up to in the world right now? Absolutely. So right now, in addition to working with Charlie um, and getting our book out there and working with schools, um, I also work with parents and their teenagers. So I have a private practice where I'm helping parents understand their teens and vice versa and really restore harmony in the family. 
I'm also a mom of a teenager, so I'm living this every single day, and I learn a lot from her. As we know, teens have very honest voices, so she, I go through a filter of hers, go, is this completely lame or chuggy, I guess is the word, and then she rolls her eyes and tells me if it is or not. That's where I'm at now, and it's really exciting to help address the mental health crisis because it's something that's been dear to my heart for decades. And it's finally getting the attention it deserves. I have to say before we move on to Charlie, Dr. Cam, I think I must need to schedule with you. (laughs) 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 As uh, hearing you say that you're out there helping parents with teens and I'm right in the thick of that myself. So I'm just so grateful that you would share all of the insights and then, yeah, maybe you'll get a couple of clients of me being one of them. (laughs) Oh, for the love. And just one question, where are you at geographically? So I'm outside of D.C., Northern Virginia, um, but I actually do have clients all over the world because, believe it or not, they all are having the same teen issues, and I hear the same problems over and over again, and it almost always comes down to miscommunication. Funny, and so you think that you're kind of the only one in so many of your challenges, and you realize there's some university, you know, universal qualities to that struggle. <laughs> 100%. Awesome. Thank you. So, Charlie, let's hear from you. Yes. Hi. By the way, Dr. Kim does such important work with families and teens. So please reach out to her if you are in that right now. Oh my goodness. I was a high school teacher for 18 years and I became a licensed clinical therapist because I saw so many of my students struggling and I wanted to be a part of the solution. So right now I've transitioned into just working as a keynote speaker and I do training uh, sessions, do workshops focusing on staff and student mental health, because as you'll probably hear Dr. Kim and I talk about, we know that the solution has to be working with adults in the kids' lives before their mental health can be supported. So that's the work I'm loving right now. I had a a big life transition that way. I'm just grateful to be able to do the work I'm doing. I think that is just so amazing because I can only imagine how that 18 years in the classroom informed so much of what you do in your practice and then currently. And absolutely, both of you are angels at a time when we need you so (laughs) desperately, Um, you know, just in so many different contexts. And I'm so curious, Charlie, I, what content did you teach? I actually got to teach about mental health. So I taught psychology, anthropology, sociology, but I also got, my curriculum was awesome. I got to teach about mental illness and mental wellness, more importantly, and human development. And then the challenges that we face in society and what needs to be done to have a better life, really, to be a better human being. And so because I was so ingrained on that, I started teaching teens about how their own brain worked. And brain science has come up a lot. Um, fMRIs came around in the early 1990s. And so when I started teaching them about their own development and their own brain, that was a powerful impact on their own life. And so we stimulated so many great conversations. And we talked about suicide and topics that they never really got a chance to talk about. And so instead of going the administration route, I did a lot of mental health leadership at the school and district level. And so I had started down the path of becoming an administrator. And that's when I pulled out and got my master of social work degree. And that way I could really understand the structural issues that were contributing to youth mental health. And so that's 
uh, where all of my aha moments were. And I was still in the classroom while I was learning that. So it was experiential education for me too, while I was doing clinical practice. It was really phenomenal. So I got to teach about it and that was exciting. Oh man, I just love that so much. The passion of those like real life moments and just that spark that led you to say, okay, career path change because <laughs> mm-hmm. you realize that your talents could be utilized in, in different ways, which I think can be so hard for so many of us. Um, but it's really fun and I can't wait to learn even more about the evolution of that, not only through this discussion, but also through reading um, your book, which we're going to get to in just a minute. <laughs> Where are you geographically, Charlie? I'm in Northern Kentucky near Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. So now I need to know how the two of you connected. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Dr. Cam and I each had a podcast and invited each other to be guests, right, Dr. Cam? Yep. It was one of those things where we clicked immediately because we kept sharing the same stories of what we were trying to do and our same frustrations and the fact that we just couldn't find a solution. And we were both desperately seeking for solutions. And Charlie had this lens that I didn't have that I needed desperately, which was from the classroom as a teacher. And it was just brilliant. And by pulling that together and I'd been, and she'd been doing a lot with kids in a clinical realm too. I'd been doing a lot of that and working with parents. And so I had that lens more like, man, if we could pull these two angles together, these two focuses together, we could actually create something that works for the people it needs to work for. And that was the biggest problem we kept seeing was there were solutions out there, but none of them actually were practical for the people that had to use them. And so we go through this lens and Charlie is the best with it because it has to go through her, you know, BS lens is this something we can teach teachers? Are they going to roll their eyes at it? You know, are they going to get the big eye roll? And she's very honest about that. And we do it for students too. Are our teens going to roll their eyes at this? And we're like, yeah. (laughs) So we go through that lens a lot. Yeah. And that's important, Sarah, that Dr. Kim mentioned that because I remember being an educator sitting in a professional development session with mental health professionals talking to us, but they didn't have the teacher lens. And so it, was, it wasn't it was relatable. So we didn't have buy-in. And that's what's lacking right now in education. There are a lot of teachers suffering. They are overburdened. They're trying to deal with a lot with student behaviors and they're just ill-equipped. And they'll tell you that. Most of them are actually dealing with the student behaviors themselves. And there's a lot of reasons for that, um, but, but without referring them to the mental health professionals in the school. And that 93% of them know that there's a a concern with student mental health, but they feel ill-equipped to deal with it. So that's what we're doing is we're trying to equip them and speak to them on their level that's very relatable. So Dr. Cam and I just come together to do that pretty well. And one last thing I'll say about that, Sarah, that's so key here is, I mean, when I worked in a, a behavioral health hospital in a crisis unit with teens, when the school went back into session over the summer, our numbers rose so much. And anytime we had a holiday or a time off, our numbers went down. And so we pay close attention to that. School is definitely a problem. Family life is definitely a problem. And that's why Dr. Cam and I came together to solve the problem. Oh my gosh. First of all, the fact that you two met on podcasts and I didn't know that. And here you are. I feel so honored to be in your presence. It's so exciting. And I love this idea that you took 
your passions. And instead of going with that scarcity model, thinking, oh no, she's going to do this. I can't do it. You said, no, there's room here and we can make each other better and we can solve this together, which is so incredibly beautiful, ladies. Uh, I love that. That's our philosophy in general, because there is a very large problem out here. And we all know that. And I think the more of us that support each other and work together rather than trying to compete, the more likely we're going to get this resolved. And so we love partnering with people and collaborating with people and just pushing other people up that we see have really great ideas too. Well, that's, you know, I didn't even realize that that was a part of your origin story as a team. And I love that we have you featured on the Women's Voices because that is such a key piece too about this is sharing one another's stories, uplifting one another, and then getting like to that solution together. But you would never have gotten there had you not already been working to (laughs) amplify one another's voices anyway in this work, which is just so cool. (laughs) Absolutely. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. All right. So we have got to talk about your team effort here. And just recently, it was just, was it this month that you published? the February. Oh my goodness. Ah. So Improving School Mental Health, The Thriving School Community Solution, published through Connect Ed Publishing. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this book. I'll start. So we started by going into schools and working with teachers and staff um, and teaching through like professional development sessions, the solutions we had come up with. And we had a lot of people coming up to us saying, I usually hate these sessions. I dread PD days. When are you guys coming back? We love what you did. We feel heard we feel um, validated. We feel like we can actually utilize what you guys are teaching us. And we had a lot of people asking us if we had a book or if we could write a book. And so we started thinking about this going, hmm, maybe we should put this in a book. And so we spent a year virtually um, writing a book together. It was a very fun and very challenging experience um, because like we said, we put every single thing sentence in this book through a lens of how realistic is this? Can this be done? We would spend an hour discussing one little piece of it because we wanted to make sure we had it right. And we had looked at it through every perspective. So we put everything into this book and it was such a great, it was so fun to see it finally out there. And we're so excited to finally be talking about it. Yeah, it's exciting. We did. We spent one word on the word plan. And I was saying, oh my goodness, we were talking about responding effectively to students' anxiety. And I mean, I honor the work that Dr. Cam does so much. And she said that, you know, one of the strategies with kids is saying we need to have a plan in place. And I immediately felt triggered as the teacher in the classroom thinking, plan, I I don't have time to create a plan. And so we literally spent an hour on that one word. We actually both agreed. (laughs) We both really had the same idea, Um, but we needed to 
kind of choreograph it so that it would meet the needs of teachers who are, you know, waiting for 30 kids to file into their classroom and having a kid approach them, which happens all the time, and um, talking about what a plan would look like in those few short seconds or minutes um, so that it would it'd be realistic. So it was that kind of back and forth that made us work real well. And we are not afraid to challenge each other in a kind way, but because we're so comfortable challenging, challenging the ideas, that's why the book came together so well. And we use it as our framework when we, when we do presentations and when we um, train educators and parents. I want to add one more thing to that that was really, you know, a big piece of Charlie's focus was we cannot ask people, particularly teachers and staff, to do anything more. So many of the solutions out there right now are really heavily focused on adding more to a teacher's to-do list, and they're overwhelmed and they're leaving in droves. And we see this um, with burnout. And so we had to make sure whatever we came up with was being infused into what they're already doing, making what they're already doing easier and not adding more to do. Otherwise, it's just not practical and it's not going to work. It's so interesting because I'm currently in the context of serving in a public school again outside of my certification. I'm a library media specialist. <laughs> for yes. I laugh every time I say that out loud. Like, did that really happen? Is that really <laughs> happening? And I was uh, an English teacher and then a building principal. And I stepped into this role basically to serve the learning community that I lived in for 20 years, never worked in the school before. My husband's been there ever since we got married. And so this is my second year. And I work with all of the elementary school students. I have 150 every other week that I am so blessed to have in media or tech class. And then we also provide services to the 7 through 12, not as much as we want, but you know, in checkouts and supervision and all the things. And we recently as a school have experienced a professional development day. And I'm just, as I'm listening to you, <laughs> I'm just chuckling at the timing because the content was so good. It was so important. And I watched the elementary get really solid understanding of regulation strategies, and then even walked away with some tools that they could use to build a classroom community that's a little more conducive to regulation, to kind of normalizing that. And then our 712, I, I was a part of that training and same, so good. The woman knew exactly what she was talking about. I'm jiving with it. I'm watching my colleagues engage with it. But then afterward, realizing that we don't have an operational plan here. <laughs> we also don't have, we haven't spent the time to allow the adults to process through their own regulation strategies to get to the level that they could to help the teens regulate, right? And so I'm just realizing I'm living in real time out of the best of intentions, exactly what you're talking about, an inefficient way of handling this very important topic. Not against the leaders in the school, because if they listen to this, I'm so grateful that we got something. But I'm super curious, in both your framework for presentations and the book, what is the difference for you? You've spent all this time painstakingly weeding through, as you say, the BS and the eye rolls. What have you come up with? Well, I mean, it has to work within their daily practice. And so that's why it, this works for leaders too. I was just um, training a bunch of principals who were new. And what we have to understand is they're not serving students anymore. They're serving teachers. And so we have to look at how skills can 
can be ingrained in their everyday practice and become an, an immersive language experience. Cam came up with this, um, which was really great. You can't teach a kid a language. Okay, so think about what we're doing with SEL. We're teaching kids skills. And SEL is great. We have no problem with SEL. There's a lot of evidence about, you know, about how, how rigorous they can be when they're used properly. But when we're teaching skills to only one set of the community, then it's just not going to catch on. And so we're, we're training leaders to then train teachers um, to at least understand and accept that they can be better skilled so that they can better support their own mental health while they're supporting their student mental health. So it's across the entire setting that we're working with by equipping everybody. And that's that immersive language experience when everybody's speaking the language, practicing the language and becoming proficient in that language, we're going to have a whole cultural shift. So that's what we're looking at when we're talking about training people. We go well beyond that. We make sure that it's something that they can relate to and infuse into their everyday practice. And that's why it works for district leaders, administrators, um, other kinds of leaders in the school, school counselors, school social workers, anybody who connects with kids, even coaches. That's why it will work when all of us are equipped and no longer expecting kids to be equipped and then throwing them right back into the same toxic environments with burned out teachers and stressed out parents expecting them to function well. So we're equipping everybody. This is the other piece that makes this unique is not only are we starting from the top down and we're teaching the adults how to regulate their emotions, how to take care of their own mental health because they can't help kids if they're not okay themselves. And we see a lot of this with teachers that have the heart and want to help but man, they don't feel supported or okay. So we want to start with them making sure that they feel okay, they feel supported. This also means we help parents feel okay and supported and equipped. Because even if we get everyone in the school that speaks this language and has these skills and it's a healthy environment that boosts well-being, if kids are going back home and that, that culture and that environment does not it's going to be really difficult for those kids to continue to feel okay. And that's where we see acting out. When they're struggling at school, they act out at home. When they're struggling at home, they act out at school. They stress out teachers. Teachers impact the kids and they stress out. They're misbehaving at home. They stress out the parents. The parents don't react very well when they're stressed out, which creates more misbehavior. So we call this a spill, the stress spillover. And this is one of the reasons why the siloed approach is not effective. And our approach is about let's create a continuum of support across every environment that the kids are in, where the adults are modeling these skills, not just teaching them. They're teaching them by modeling them. They're teaching them by interacting with them, by creating connections with these kids, which I work with kids one-on-one -on -one and one of the biggest reasons that they are so stressed out is they don't feel connected or accepted anywhere, not at home, not at school. And a lot of the adults are surprised by this because they think, wow, I'm there for them. But when we don't understand them, when we don't, when we miscommunicate, when we react rather than respond, um, we send the wrong messages and these kids are getting messages that they aren't enough, that they aren't accepted. And guess what? They act out. And this becomes the cycle that we are just stuck in right now. And so Charlie and I are trying to find a way 
to break out of the cycle rather than being stuck constantly in reaction mode, which we can't keep up, how do we start preventing these problems from occurring in the first place? How do we get to a place where we're not having all these issues that we have to figure out how to address? That's the world we want to get, be in, and that's the world we're trying to create. Yeah, and that's the world we know we can get to, by the way, too. And for your listeners, it's really exciting because you know, when Cam and I do keynotes, that's a one message of incredible hope that we can spread, and we love doing that. It's when we're working with educators long-term, when we work with districts and they come back to us after a few sessions, actually, we actually have people after the first session come to us saying, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful, I'm refreshed because I actually have something that I can use and infuse right into my practice tomorrow. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to go and consult a book and create a lesson around it. I get to do it tomorrow and I feel relief. And that's what's great. And when we do that long-term with these schools and the districts we work with, it's so nice to see that long-term transformation that they have in their building. And it's it's that's the incredible impact we want to have. That's why we have to do this on a massive scale, utilizing our best resources, which are our schools, because they have the wider reach and more accessed funding and resources. So yeah, you can tell we're excited about it, can't you, Sarah? <laughs> I can, and it's contagious. That passion and that excitement is absolutely contagious. I'm feeling it. And uh, of course, as someone who, for my own experiences, has been trying so hard, I am vehemently passionate about advocating for building principles. I love all of the stakeholders, but they are the ones that have my focus most often with leadership coaching and my own messages, because I feel like they have been one of the most under supported <laughs> professionals in the buildings. They're expected to do so much. But those listening, I, I know that they are trying to find meaningful solutions. And it's so hard when you are trying to do one-off PDs. Like you just said, keynotes, they're fantastic. They provide a message of hope, but we really need a more sustainable systemic approach. And I know that educators know that. They feel that. That's where the eye rolls come from because they get a one-off message that really only kind of starts to scratch at the scab, <laughs> but then doesn't allow for the healing and the moving forward. And it sounds to me like you too are really trying to come up with a way to transform the communities in a way that can be sustainable. We also want to take into account that administrators, staff, educators are already doing everything they can. So giving the message of you need to do better, we need to do better, that's, that's not helping. That's frustrating. They're trying. So what we're trying to do is say, here are some very simple ways to make things work better so that you can feel better first, which is what you need to do in order to be able to interact with kids better. And we want you to understand why kids are acting the way they do, because we make assumptions about kid behavior um, that triggers us and we respond and we react and we don't feel like we have the right tools to deal with it. But when we understand where it's coming from and we have tools to deal with it in a more compassionate and effective way, we feel empowered to do that. And so we get to do what we already are trying to do. And that's where we come from. We already know where the heart is at. And we're, we're starting from there. Yeah. And there's so many, 
so many educators who come to us saying, listen, we, we need our leaders to listen to us more. We feel undervalued. But when we work with leaders, they actually do have such a huge heart for teachers and they are trying to support them. So one example of that is there was an educate, sorry, there was a elementary school principal who got a, a great budget and she had walked through the staff rooms and in the buildings. She had heard her teachers talk about how students were losing their pencils and it was causing them so much frustration. And if you work in an elementary building, you know exactly what I mean. And so she said, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a bunch of pencils and stock their classrooms with it. So I'm going to have them delivered to the staff room. And at the next staff meeting, they'll see it. Well, you can imagine that she was just so disheartened when she walked in and she heard them all complaining at the meeting when they saw the pencils. And what they told us is they said, well, I already spent my own money on extra pencils for my classroom. So maybe this other teacher needed it, but I certainly didn't. And now I'm out, out of pocket with what I spent. I really wish you would have asked me what I needed. And so that was a powerful message that, listen, there's a disconnect, but it's not because the heart and intention isn't there. It's that we just need to ask what the need is. And so that simple approach bridges these the leaders and the teachers in the building together in a very simplistic way. I want you to think about um, what we did for each chapter in our book and the tools that we provide is that if there's a 25-page lit review that you're writing, we synthesized it down to one paragraph so that it was something that we could all remember to do and it's easy enough to just reflexively implement. And that's the strategy. It has to work that way in today's education, uh, world of education. So that was you know, kind of the extension that, that we did based on the learning we've done. I'm gonna add to the solutions in our book are so simple, most of them, and so to the point that they seem obvious, and yet it took us months <laughs> to, to get it down to that point where we were taking all of this evidence-based research and strategies and theories and everything and trying to, like Charlie said, synthesize it into something that was really easily digestible and we could remember it and we could put it into action right away. So that piece of it, making it simple was probably the most difficult part of what we did with this book. <laughs> I can only imagine because even when you, first of all, when you said to lit review and synthesize, I'm instantly going, oh, because <laughs> I'm in the middle <laughs> of my like own doctoral so. journey. <laughs> <laughs> you get that. So thank you for doing that work. It actually is harder, right? And and I think sometimes it's so easy to get that initiative fatigue and burnout in education. And so just so clearly evident that you're being very mindful about all of that, that these words aren't just buzzwords and that they're actually implementing practices based in good research, which is too easy, you know, to get drawn to something else because it's the quick fix. So I appreciate well, that. Here's the even better piece of that, Sarah, is we've actually utilized all of these skills in our own practice. And so I'll be getting out of a session with one of my either parents or a teenager and I'll text Charlie and be like, oh my gosh, I used this skill today and it worked. I mean, I get so excited when they work too still. <laughs> you know, I use this skill and oh my gosh, they had this amazing moment and they just got it of clarity and it worked. And it's so exciting every time because they are so simple. Sometimes you think, are these too simple? They 
work. And that is what is so powerful and so cool about them. So we use them every day in our own practice and in our own lives, actually. And it's just, it's fun to see them really work. Yeah. Well, that's the thing when you're working with anybody who's got chaos going on in the backgrounds of their lives or right at the forefront, you have to slow down and simplify. Mm. We've done this in our own practice because that's what has to happen in order for us to have any kind of clarity and ability to solve the initial problem or the underlying problem. Even when I worked with those kids who were in just high risk categories with suicide and self-harm, I used these same skills because in that world of chaos they were experiencing, whether it was an external or internal influence, we had to bring it to calm and we had to simplify their next step. So it, it's a great, you know, we've used it because it does work, but it's exciting because it's easy enough to remember. So that's what we love about it. I have not had an opportunity to read the book yet, but you can bet it's on my list and I'll be <laughs> taking it both as a parent and an educator and also someone who serves and deeply loves educators myself. And so I'm so grateful that the two of you met, that you came together, that you connected with Connect Ed, and now your message is out in the world for all of us listeners. We're absolutely going to have this linked so Grab yourself a copy. Did I see too? You have a, is there a study guide and resources out there as well? There is. We created, and again, this was Charlie's idea because she has the teacher <laughs> lens. She's like, you know what we need to do? We need to make this really easy again because our whole focus is not making more for people to do. So we put together all the discussion questions, um, the worksheets, even con templates for emails so they can send them out. So all the work is already done and that's free um, that they can download and get a study group going right away. That's amazing. Just so you know, it'll be uh, probably leveraged here in our local <laughs> community. <laughs> I'm so excited to dive in. Uh, ladies, I am so grateful that you would be able to spend so much time with me this morning and as well as to share with the listeners all about that story. I think both of you need to each come back with me on the podcast so that we can start to peel apart a little bit about you as individuals because I am so deeply fascinated by your backgrounds and what led you to where you got. So we're just going to get a little snippet of that today, if you're willing to answer my two standard questions. But publicly, are you willing to come back and talk with me each individually? Absolutely, Sarah. I feel like I pressured you into that, but well, I'm happy. <laughs> no, no pressure. Okay. So let's go ahead and I'm going to ask these two questions that are so significant to the In Awe podcast. Um, the first one is, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? Dr. Cam, you want to start us out? If I could write a letter to myself back when I was a teenager, one of the reasons I focus on that age is because that was a tough time for me. I would just let me know that I'm going to be okay and that life is going to be pretty awesome when I get older and just you can make it through this. Yeah. And I'd say there are many times when I felt, felt stuck. So if I was writing a letter to my former self, even in just this past year, I've had several times of personally and professionally feeling stuck in different moments. So I would say whether it's, you know, needing movement quickly or needing to take bigger steps that I can still function well, even when there's turmoil somewhere in my life. And so finding my people to help me move through that is a huge, huge piece 
Um, I lost my sister friend, Michelle, to cancer years ago. Um, she's still with me every single day, but she was my piece of wisdom. And I remember I was driving her to her last chemotherapy appointment, and it was surreal because she turned to me and asked me to do her um, urology. You can tell I'm a little <laughs> broken up in that very moment. It brings up a lot of feelings for me. But she turned to me in that moment and asked me to do her eulogy. And I remember saying to her, I need to absorb all of your wisdom now because I knew I was losing her. We knew this was a last ditch effort. And she passed away um, several weeks later. So anytime I feel stuck, I feel her energy in me, helping me move through it e either immediately or understanding that I just need to come to calm, simplify, and know that I can still function well, even when I have that turmoil going on in the background. That was a really large gift that you just gave us, Charlie, in sharing Michelle and how powerful that that energy and that um, lesson of losing her, but still having that gift of presence is really, really powerful. And, you know, grief is such a real universal experience that we all have. But just hearing you say that is such a good moment for us to all kind of like step aside and remember that we're, you know, inextricably tied. And I just loved hearing that. Getting stuck is so easy as an adult, I think, which is <laughs> those patterns that connect all throughout life, right? Those patterns that just really kind of creep back up. And I think that self-awareness and the ability to shift is really powerful. It's like a superpower and just being willing to acknowledge that it's going to happen at some point again and push through that is really beautiful. Um, and also Dr. Cam, I want to say that the fact that you wrote to yourself as a teenager, and I just think that I can imagine the slew of clients that you have had current and past that are just so fortunate to have you harness that energy of that teen angst and not really forget what that was like, even though that's hard <laughs> for someone who yeah. want to move on from that stage. But just using that passion to serve that clientele is so beautiful. Being able to stay connected to that is helping me considerably because I do find so much passion and beauty in teenagers. And people always ask me, why in the world would you work with teenagers? And I'm like, why in the world wouldn't you? They're, they're absolutely phenomenal. Once we get past the layers that we typically are just misunderstanding. And Sarah, the advocacy that Dr. Cam has for kids and teens um, is incredible. And that is a major reason why I love working with her. I ask her advice all the time, but it's an incredible gift that she has to share with the world and with parents because parents have a brand new insight and lens after they work with her that they never would have had. And so they're giving their own teen a chance because they've worked with her. Mm, that's so beautiful. <laughs> advice to people out there, find people like Charlie in your life. <laughs> Charlie and I are probably the deepest, biggest support systems of each other. And let's face it, we've had some challenges sure. too. We really sure. have. Um, and we've learned and grown by getting through those. So it is it is something that I just am so fortunate. I just can't believe how fortunate I am to have, a, have Charlie in my life. It's awesome. The dynamic duo. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, and I think that the just hearing from you that message of continuing to grow together is really cool and one that can't be denied. 
uh, because we, you know, you hear phrases like better together and all of these things, but it really is true when you find that complementary person that can help you kind of reach the next level of your own passions and talents to give to others. And you two have clearly done that. You're still doing it. You'll continue to, I have no doubt. Hmm, For sure. Okay. So how about this one? If listeners find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what can you say to help them rise up out of it? Well, I know Charlie and I have been in many pits of doubt, (laughs) even in the past year, (laughs) uh, past few months, they are, they are, you're going to keep getting, you're going to be in them. They're, they're part of the process. Those pits of doubt are when we end up finding what it really is we're supposed to be doing. It's where we really find what we're made out of and being able to push through. First, I'm going to say, forgive yourself when you're in it, because a lot of times people get in it, including myself, and we beat ourselves up for being in it. We start putting ourselves down. We start feeling bad. And that just makes us feel worse rather than saying, you know what? I'm in this cycle. This is this is the time where I'm here. And I'm going to I'm going to roll with it and feel it and learn from it. And I know because I've been in here before that I'm going to get out of it. And when I get out of it, it's going to be even better than it was before I got into it because I've grown and I've learned what I need to learn. So keep pushing because everyone has a purpose and everyone has a message and everyone there's something that you need to do for somebody else. Everybody needs you for something. Um, and, and they're waiting for you. And just remember that. Yeah. And I completely agree. The forgiveness piece is so powerful. I love that Dr. Cam said that because it is, it's an, it's so vital for us moving forward as human beings, truly through life and finding our purpose. It's truly important. And I would just say, know your mission. I mean, Dr. Cam and I meet with people who have a lot of power and influence in the world of education and mental health. I mean, when we meet with superintendents, we used to worry, we used to have some doubt around what we would, would do and say, but what we've done is we've learned to step out of that and stick with our mission. We are there to serve the superintendents. We're there to serve their educators and their leaders and their students and parents. And that's what leads our conversation, listening to their needs and being able to fulfill those needs. That is exciting now, whereas before we were a little nervous about it. Now it just empowers us, drives us. So just know your mission and lean on those people who are going to help you genuinely get to where you need to go, who will not necessarily agree with you, but they're going to come from a place of love to help support you through it. And I call that my dream team. And I could have never functioned as well as I did as an educator If I didn't have the dream team around me in my building, I knew exactly who to go to when I needed something. And I also do that now in my practice with Dr. Cam, of course. So it's, it's great to know your mission and lean on people who, who genuinely have your back. Well, ladies, I have to thank you for those really beautiful, authentic responses. They remind us that it's normal to fall back into the pit, that you don't ever get up and then all of a sudden everything is great and you'll never fall back in. And to remind ourselves that we have others there with us. And if we keep mission focused, we can overcome those things. I just wanted to share recently that I had that revelation myself. You get into this. I I heard Dr. Cam say, don't beat yourself up. 
And then Charlie affirmed that like forgiveness is good. Self-compassion is really important because, you know, I've been out there sharing messages, hopefully of hope and inspiration over years. And yet I still find myself during certain cycles of the year kind of regressing. And it was just this last year that I said, you know, I think I have to kind of allow for that a little bit because I know that that, for example, that time of year is really hard. And if I don't acknowledge it and sit in that a little bit and let myself kind of like, I I think I described it as kind of like watching myself, watching it happen, but lovingly kind of keeping a hand on my shoulder as it did. (laughs) I don't know if that makes any sense, but just allowing for it so that I can bounce back faster and with more assurance every time that happens. And I think normalizing the fact that those cycles and those patterns exist for all of us is really beautiful. That's amazing. And it's funny. I I don't know if you thought about this, Dr. Kim, but Sarah, when you said self-compassion, that is our number one skill, our number one skill that we teach. Mm -hmm. The first one, I should say. All of them are important, but it's so vital. It has to start there. We got to start. We have to start there. Yes. I love that. Okay. Well, ladies, I am so, so grateful for you. I know that the listeners are just getting so much value from this conversation and they'll continue to engage with you afterward. Would you each do me a favor and share the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? Aside from, of course, ordering the book and connecting with your website, what's the best way that they can connect with you after this interview? All of our information is at thrivingschool.org. So if you go there, you'll find links not only to our book, but to both of our pages where you can find information on how you can work with us and how you can get us to speak or any of those things. So I I think that's the easiest and fastest way to find us. Mm -hmm. And if they'd like to email us directly, they could do that as well. There's a general one to remember, just hello at thrivingschool.org. But if you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Cam personally, she will personally respond to you at drcam at thrivingschool.org. And I'm charlie, C-H-A-R-L-E, at thrivingschool.org as well. Awesome. Well, we will be sure to link all of that, listeners, just make it even easier for you because that sounds like the great theme of the day. <laughs> Let's just make life a little easier for one another. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. Love it. All right, ladies. Thank you so much. I am so deeply inspired by you and so grateful for your messages and can't wait to engage with your resources. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. This has been a real pleasure talking yes, to you. Yes. And thanks for the opportunity for us to continue sharing our message. We appreciate it so much. It's my honor. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.